everybody. Thanks for listening to On The Podcast. Short episode format podcast to give you something to do while you do your business on the pod. Or maybe you're recording podcast episodes with your co-host and they have to do their business on the pod. <laughs> IBS is not a fun time. <laughs> Look, if you're gluten-free, don't you touch don't you touch that gluten. <laughs> so you can either talk to your dog who can't talk back. <laughs> or you can turn on an episode of our podcast and learn something. Well, your co-host does what you gotta do. While she kills time on the pot. Exactly. <laughs> I'm Liz. And I'm Katie. Hey, Liz. Hey, Katie. What are we talking about today? Katie, uh, November is... November is my birth month. November is your birth month. <laughs> Uh, we give thanks in the United States in November. Mm-hmm. It is also Native American Heritage Month. Love it. Love it. So I wanted to talk about uh, the Navajo Code Talkers. Oh, yeah. This is super cool. Really fascinating. Love this topic, Liz. Totes my goats. Um, so Code Talkers on a whole, it's a worldwide name for, um, you know, people who speak code during wars to throw off the enemy, essentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, It is most often referred to the 400 to 500 Native Americans in the U.S. Marine Corps during both World War I and World War II. And they transmitted messages over phone uh, and the radio and also helped improve encryption and decryption on the front lines of World War II. And as far as the Navajo code talkers go, that code was never broken, which is pretty freaking cool. And they were speaking in native languages, right? Yeah. So we'll get to that. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there. Um, So in World War II, there were uh, two two code types. There was the... um, The first type was formally developed from the Hopi, Meskwaki, and Comanche, and Navajo um, people. Mm Mm-hmm. And they used words from their languages for English letters, actually. Oh, cool. And then the type two was the informal translation from English to indigenous language. So, for example, sometimes they didn't always have a native word for an English word. So they so an example of that was they called the submarine an iron fish. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say airplane, but yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the term was initially coined by the U.S. Marine Corps for individuals who completed special training in code talking. Uh, there, the World War One code talkers actually included Cherokee, Lakota, and Choctaw tribes. And the first known use of code talkers was the Cherokee soldiers in World War One in the 30th Infantry Division, where they transmitted messages during the Second Battle of Somme. So there were actually like a number of different um, code talkers, Native American uh, code talkers that were utilized throughout the battle, the battles in World War One. Just cute. It's super cool. I'm gonna say something really depressing and horrible. I'm sure, like they helped us win these wars, stay safe, whatever. And I'm sure that they were treated like garbage still, which is really sad. We'll get to that. So, um, so when it came to the Navajo code talkers, Philip Johnston, uh, who was a civil, civil engineer in LA proposed the use of the Navajo language to, uh, the Marine Corps 
at the start of World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Johnson was actually the son of missionaries to the Navajo people. He was a World War One vet, and he could speak Trader's Navajo, meaning, you know, he could speak enough to basically get by. Okay. Uh, but didn't know it entirely. Yeah. Um, at the outbreak of World War II, there were actually fewer than 30 non-natives who could speak Navajo. So he was one of a very small crowd that actually knew the language. Yeah. Interesting. That were already, like, enlisted? No, no, no. This is just people in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these are unlisted people. So 30 people outside of the Navajo Nation could speak Navajo. Yeah. Uh, it was still an unwritten language at the time. That's part of why um, they had complex grammar, very complex syntax, and con- complex phonology. So basically, um, just difficult sounds, difficult sentence structure, all of that for people to uh, understand if you don't know how to speak it. Mm-hmm. And it also had uh, numerous dialects. Mm-hmm. So this is essentially why Johnston proposed it to the uh, Major Major General uh, Clayton B. Vogel, who was the commanding agent to the Amphibious Corps. Ironfish. Yeah. <laughs> Basically the wet, the, the, yeah, the frogs, the frogs, the naval frogs. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> So in 1942, he brings this to them and they staged a, they staged a bit com- combat conditions to demonstrate Navajo man decoding three line messages in 20 seconds when it took machines 30 minutes to decode these lines. Oh, but the machine still could decode them. Yeah, but it took them took so them much longer. longer. So yeah, it yeah. was, so that's, so that's one of the things is that it created, it, it was very, it was much more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the battlefield, efficiency matters. Yeah. So, side note, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, where there were actually numerous Navajos who enlisted in um, the in the military to fight for the United States. Mm-hmm. And so, of them, 29 Navajo men were sworn in to create the, uh, the code. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. They created their own troop. They were Platoon 382, and they were the first all-Indian platoon. Wow. They range from 15-year-olds to 35-year-olds. And even, so the code that they created, even non-trained Navajos could not decipher it. So is that complex? 15 years old? I thought you had to be 18. This was the 40s. Yikes. A 15-year-old? Oh, yikes. Man. Should we bring you back to the drummer, <laughs> the 11-year-old drummer boys in, like, <laughs> in the Revolutionary War? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. E. Now, of the 29 Navajo men who created the Navajo Code, uh, seven actually ended up receiving Purple Hearts, and one of those men actually was killed in action. Just Mm -hmm. a little side note. So during the Battle of Iwo Jima, um, they enlisted the Code Talkers throughout this time, six Code Talkers throughout this time, and over two days, 800 messages were decoded without error. Wow. 800 freaking messages in two days. That's crazy. Yeah. Totally crazy. Yeah. Major Howard Connor was the one who led this battle, and he says that without them, they could not have taken Iwo Jima. So there's, you know, there's a massive role played in um, the the outcome of World War II, thanks to these code the talkers. Code talkers, yeah. It's crazy. Um, now, of course, we'll get into some of the, the challenging parts of this. So um, some... Some of these code talkers were actually mistaken as Japanese and taken as prisoners by Americans and American soldiers. And so because of that, every single code talker was assigned a bodyguard, another uh, military member. 
And it was decided that if, if there were a risk of being captured, that that bodyguard would, um, kill the code talker to keep the code well to keep the code talker from or to protect the code essentially it's a, it's part of war <laughs> it's part of war oh that's horrible that's war. super messed up also weren't they wearing like american uniforms I've, i don't know i don't know how war works other than oh, that if you get what? compromised if you get compromised you you you're better off killing yourself versus having the enemy kill you. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I hate that. Well, the good news is Katie was never needed to be used. Okay, good. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Yeah. But it is. I mean, it was a way of preserving the code that, again, was never broken. So they were constantly reworking and retraining people on the code. You know, mm-hmm. so if something changed language-wise or a new thing, a new thing was introduced or whatever... They would change that and rework the code and then people would be retrained, which I think is great, right? Yeah. Like, we should always be working to improve so that it helps with not being figured out. Yeah. Now, the last of the original code talkers of the 29 code talkers that were first enlisted to create this code uh, died on June 4th, 2014. His name is Chester Nez. Today, there are three remaining code talkers alive of those that have been trained in Navajo code talking. From World War II. From World War II. Yeah. They're getting up there. They're getting up there. Well, yeah. So there was no recognition of the Navajo code talkers until 1968. And that was when uh, their operation was actually declassified. So nobody had really any idea of the impact that the Navajo code talkers had on the good guys winning World War II. Yeah. Um... I understand that it had to be kept classified. Like, that makes sense to me. But that also makes me really sad that, the, I mean, they they admitted to, like, yeah, we would not have won certain major battles in World War II without these guys, and we're just not going to say anything well, about Well, and, them. like, nobody ever really knows about the code talkers of World War One, And let's also bring back the fact that there were 400 to 500 different code talkers in both of those wars, and that doesn't even cover the numerous Native Americans who've fought in battle for the United States that we don't talk about or don't know about. Yeah, no, I know. I hate that. Yeah. So that's why we're talking about it today. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, in 1982, President Reagan did give uh, the Certificate of Recognition to the Navajo Code Talkers, and then in on December 21st, 2000, Clinton actually awarded the con- Congressional Gold Medal to the original um, 29 Code Talkers and silvers to all the other Code Talkers who weren't a part of the creation of the code. Mm-hmm. And then there was the Code Talkers Recognition Act put into play of 2008, put into place in 2008 <laughs> uh, by President Bush that recognized every American Code Talker in World War One and World War Two. So we kind of made up for it, sort of, but they helped us win the war and then well, we didn't did. get and recognized until decades after. Yeah, yeah. 40 years later, the first recognition. I will I will mention, though, that, you know, in, in recent history, in recent years, there has been talk and recognition of code talkers. And, and mind you, you know, again, none of the original ones are still around and there's only a few remaining um, but I think it's like anything else from World War II. Uh, you talk about it to keep it alive. So Yeah, very true. Yeah. yeah. Um, real interesting, super cool. I think it's 
uh, fascinating that we were able to use, you know, some of like American heritage to protect our country and an um, unbroken code. I mean, I think an that's unbroken crazy. code. No, I know. And I wonder like, and it wasn't even like technology that we were being used. It was resources that we already mm-hmm. had. So I think we need to do more of that now. Get off the computers, yeah. go back to plain origins. I don't know. Just get to know your neighbor better. Yeah. <laughs> Form a secret language. Yeah, good old toothless Jerry. <laughs> okay, thanks, Liz. Hey, no problem. So what's that inside my body? Secret codes. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of knowledge. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.